It's so good to be here. We are in part two of our series, Afterlife. Afterlife. And this whole series is about what happens when we die, right? You know, you know what's really interesting is that death itself is not actually what people are afraid of. It's actually what happens after. What happens? Do I go somewhere? Is there, or is there nothingness? And that's what people fear is what happens afterwards. And yet, let me tell you something. If you are a follower of Jesus, there is no fear. And this is what the series is all about. Afterlife. Did you know when I first met Poro, this is what I said to her. I said, did it hurt? And she was like, did what hurt? And I said, when you fell from heaven? And, and that's how we got married. And so if you really want to get married to this, no, 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 that's not, none, of, none of that happened. No, 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 that was true. Um, all you got to do is love God, love people. Just love God, love people. That's what you need to do. Um, if you're looking for a title for my message today, it's my little segue to the title. It's When Heaven Met Earth. When Heaven Met Earth. And uh, this is what happened when me and Porto met. It's when Heaven Met Earth. Yeah. There you go. Every Sunday, I'm. I'm, I'm. <laughs> anyway, it's a bit of an earth, earthy um, description, but anyway, um, when, when we think of the uh, of a sacred place, you know, we off, what we think of a sacred place, we we think of a sacred place. It's quite often where we are not, right? And when we think of when heaven and earth meets. We say that's a sacred place. When, if heaven, when heaven and earth meet, that's a sacred place. Like, like when, when Moses encounters God through the burning bush, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, the, out of the burning bush, it says to Moses, take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. Okay, because there's this heaven and earth overlapping and it's now a sacred place. So when we think of a sacred place, quite often we think of where we are not. So here's a question. Where in your mind, this is rhetorical, which means you don't have to answer back to me, uh, where in your mind do you think is the most sacred place on the entire planet? Where do you think the most sacred place is on the entire planet? And for many of us, we think of, we may, some of you may think, oh, it's, it's church building. Church is the most sacred place because that's where we meet God. That, that's obviously the most sacred place. Or, or, or maybe it's a temple. Or maybe it's some sacred site or some cultural site that, or, or, some, or some historical site. Uh, that's the most sacred place. Maybe it's Jerusalem. Maybe Jerusalem is the most sacred place on the planet. So we've got all these ideas of, of what sacred place looks like. But what we do know is for, for many of us is, well, wherever there is, whatever there is sacred, that is what I am not. And for some of us, the reason why you never came to church, or maybe the reason you stopped coming to church, is because you didn't think you're worthy enough. You didn't think you're worthy enough to enter sacred place. Or you didn't think that you're good enough. Or maybe someone told you that, oh, well, you're not good enough to be a Christian. Look at your life. You call yourself a Christian? You're not, you're not even worthy. Maybe the reason why you stopped being a Christian, or maybe you walked away from God, is because you, you tried. You honestly did. I tried to do it, and, and every step forward to the sacred place, you did two things 
that, wa- that wasn't so sacred and you need to take two steps back. Every step forward was two steps back. You did more of a moonwalk than you did the running man. I used some of my dance analogies of how I used to press portal on the dance floor. So I'll be, we'll be dancing with portal and I'll be going, see you later, I'm doing running. But anyway, that's a bad attempt of a moonwalk anyway. In fact, my best, this, if you want to see, see the moonwalk? Who wants to see, who wants to see me doing the moonwalk? Anyone? Great. Okay. Here is the moonwalk. That, that is the best attempt I can have at a moonwalk. But anyway, what are we speaking about again? Okay. Sacred place. Heaven, earth, met. Heaven, earth, met. Okay. And, and quite often, whatever is sacred is where I am not. Okay. That's what quite often many of us think. Now, um, last week, we uh, introduced an analogy of uh, a diagram of um, what the biblical view, the biblical view of afterlife. And so here's the diagram as, we, as it goes up on the screen. I've got my little pointer here. I'm going to point to it. Um, so see this diagram? Oh, here's the diagram. So um, this is the biblical view. So really quick, last week, if you missed last week, I encourage you to go online, go to our YouTube channel and re-watch it. I go in detail describing... Uh, describing the biblical view. I'm just going to go really quickly over it. And so, so here we have image of God and then sin and death is introduced. Because sin and death is introduced into humanity, it wasn't, it wasn't God's original design, but because humanity decided to choose for themselves what is right and wrong. I'm not going to trust God. I'm going to choose for myself and seize what's good and evil in my own eyes. Isn't that what we do? We look at Adam and Eve and think, oh man, what an idiot. Why did he do that? And let's be honest, we do that, to, we do that even today. You're not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to seize for myself what's right and wrong. In fact, we look at our society today. Society t- dictates to us what is truth because we're taking for ourselves what is truth. I'm not going to trust God. I'm going to hold on for myself. And because of this, um, sin and death enters creation. And a schism, a schism has, it happens between God's place God's space and our space. God's space, heaven, our space being earth. And we are now on this trajectory, get the right button, trajectory of living death. Physically alive, but spiritually and relationally dead. We are zombies, the living dead, right? And this is our trajectory. And you know what? Hell is not not our future reality. It's a present reality. It's where we are now. It's our destination. It's a present res- a destination. And it's not something that just happened. It, we're already on this trajectory, heading into living death. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and, and, and he absorbs in his body our sin and death. And three days later, he, he raises back to life, conquering sin and death, and giving humanity eternal life as a gift. And like any gift, we can choose to receive it, or reject it. The choice is yours. I can receive God's goodness, God's eternal life, and I can experience eternal life now. It's, eternal life is not some future reality, it's a present reality. And this is really important for us to understand the idea that the decisions we make happens in the present age, happens now. It doesn't happen anywhere else. We can choose to accept eternal life now, or we can continue on in living death. And continue to step and continue to step on. Not hell isn't a future reality; it's a present reality. Eternal life is not a future reality; it's a present reality. We can choose. 
but it happens right here in this present age. And this is here. And then physical death. And uh, physical death, and those who have received eternal life, a, a physical body dies, but the spiritual, the, the, the divine breath in, in us, the, our identity is somehow sustained by, by Jesus in heaven, right? And those, of us who, and those of us who continued in our living death, Bible says, you just go to the grave. There isn't much information about it. We're going to be looking more into that next week. It goes into the grave. Okay, um, that's all it says. And for many of us, that's as, as far as we go. I'll think we think, okay, for us, Oh, you know, I can't wait when I die. It's all about going to heaven. You know, the Bible, you know, most of the Bible doesn't even talk about that. This isn't our final destination. It is not. Heaven, believe it or not, is not your final destination. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, it is not your final destination. Then there's this, because there's this bit which the Bible speaks about quite loudly. It's this last bit, the resurrection, the re- Jesus return, and we're re-embodied in this. And those of us, talks about two people in heaven, uh, uh, two people in this, in this age, should I say, not heaven, in this age, those who receive this gift in the present age, eternal life with Jesus in heaven, and now are re-embodied, and we're here. And it's not all of us going to heaven, it's about heaven coming to earth, and heaven and earth coming back together again. That is our final destination here on earth. That's our final destination. And those who continued on in their living death after the ultimate separation from God, how separation from God, the ultimate, the ultimate ending. And that is the oh, really quick overview. Last week I went over a bit more. What we've been doing in the series is I've been breaking down these, these, these areas. Last week we looked at image of God, sin and death, how it came into humanity. Today we're going to be focusing on present age, present age, and the decisions we make today affects what happens then. Judgment Day. The decision we make today affects then. And then we're going to be looking at how that all works. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Romans chapter 6, verse 4 to 10. So what did Jesus do to conquer sin? What did he do to conquer sin and destroy death? What did he do? So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me. We've got it, we've got it on the screen here behind me. Romans chapter 6, verse 4, 4 to 10. And it reads... For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And baptism is a symbol, is, a, is why we get baptized. It's symbolic of us joining in with Christ's death and resurrection. It's symbolic of that. And yesterday, I had an amazing opportunity where I got to, to jump into a very cold swimming pool. And uh, <laughs> I was saying, to him, Matt, you can baptize your son. No, no, okay, well, I'll jump in with you. And uh, we, honestly, it was one of the best things. One of, my, one, of my, one of the privileges I get to do is baptize people. And, and, and it's an amazing thing. And we baptized young Lucas in the swimming pool and um, went for a swim afterwards. It was great. And we had a barbecue. Okay. So we died and we're buried with Christ by ba- baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead... By the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Did you know that? Through this gift, that you can begin to live new lives now. Since we are united with Him in His death, we will also be raised to life as He was. What are we going to be? We're going to be what? Raised to life as He was. So, does it say that since we are uh, united with him, that we're going to live in heaven forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, sitting on some cloud somewhere uh, in the eternal church service that never ends? 
Is that, uh, is, is that what it's... No, no, it doesn't say that. It, it, what does it say? It says, oh, uh, what's the, the future plan for us, for those who accept the gift of God, is resurrection. Resurrection. Verse 6. We know that our old sinful self was crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. And you, some of you are sitting in this room and you, you're like, Really? Sin has lost its power in my life. Well, on my way to church, I'm, I'm just as an example. On, some of you in this room are saying, well, on my work to church this morning. I was on my way to church. And I was like, I want to get to church. I want to be in the presence of God. Someone cut me off. And I was really angry. Anybody been cut, cut off by someone? You got really angry? Yeah. Okay, I'm speaking to you right now. Just <laughs> Right? And I got really, really angry. Or just the other day I was at work and I bit someone's head off. And so, what are you saying, Paul? Are you, the Apostle Paul, are you saying that sin has lost its power in my life? Well, I don't know, because it just feels like it still has a lot of power in my life. You might feel like that sometime. The, the Bible's telling me that sin has lost its power in my life, but why does it feel like it has a lot of power over my life? And Apostle Paul says this, Yes, it has no power over your life. You aren't living into your true identity. You have forgotten who you are. We are no longer slaves to sin. See, the Apostle Paul never wields like a, like a hammer and, and uses authority and use hell as, as a motivator for you. So, well, if you, if you continue on your way, you're going to hell. He doesn't use that at all. What does he do instead? He, he, instead of that, he appeals to who you really are. He goes, come on. Do you know who you are? Do you know your true identity? It's time for you to step into that true identity. It, power, sin, and death has no power over us. Many of us forget that. Well, it controls me so much. You have control over that. You have power that you can say to, these, to, uh, to the, the dark forces, you have no longer have control over my life. We forget the power that we have. And Paul wants to remind you of your true identity. The Apostle Paul says that the resurrection begins the moment we repent and receive the gift of grace and life. It happens right now. In that moment, it happens now. Not some pre eternal life. Resurrection happens now. See, our physical resurrection happens at uh, some distant reality, but resurrection of relational death, of spiritual death, you are resurrected now. You are no longer the walking dead, but you can now step into eternal life now. You have resurrection power inside of you. That's what you have. Eternal life and how is not just some future reality, it's a present reality. Because the traditional view, remember the traditional view, is that little diagram of the traditional view? Just behind me, the traditional view is that is that when we die or physically die, we, there's two places we either go to, depending on the password moment. You see those words after the prayer? <laughs> or whatever it is. You're either going to be uh, on some cloud for all eternity, or, this is the traditional view, or you're going to be in some other place that's not very pleasant. Well, that's kind of like the tradition, and we kind of stop there. But that's not, the biblical writers, this is not their view of the end times. This is or, or what happens in the afterlife. This is not their view at all. In fact, originally God's space, we're going back to the, the, the biblical view, originally God's space 
God's space and our space, heaven and earth, originally, according to the biblical view, God's space and our space intertwine together. I hope that's the right word. It's it's interlocked together. It overlaps together. Heaven and earth overlaps. And this is God's original plan. Do do we know a, a passage in the Bible where it shows heaven and earth coming together, entwined together? Interlocked together? Do we, uh, are we familiar with a passage in the Bible where, where God will walk amongst the trees with man? That's right, it's Genesis. Genesis 1 and 2. The Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was this ultimate picture of heaven and earth coming together, of heaven and earth in one place where, where God will walk with man through the garden. This picture of heaven and earth together until the gift that was given to us was lost when we forfeited that by rejecting it and choosing for ourselves what is right and wrong. We reject that and it is lost and the schism of sin and death now separates us from God. But it's not a complete schism. It's not a complete separation because then God begins to set in motion His plan to to bring reconciliation back with humanity again so that He can once again offer this free gift of heaven and earth coming together. And he begins with the tabernacle and the temple. The tabernacle and then the temple became like a mini garden of Eden where God's presence came in to the temple, the tabernacle, then the temple in Jerusalem. And it was like a mini garden of Eden where heaven and earth overlapped in this space. But by the time Jesus comes, when Jesus comes on the scene, the, the temple that was meant to be a representation of heaven and earth coming together was now corrupt. And if you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to the book of John. It's going to be right behind me as well. So John chapter 2. And, and, and Jesus encounters this temple, the temple that was meant to be a sacred place, a sacred space of heaven and earth coming together, this mini Garden of Eden place. Verse 13, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and other, others sitting, sitting at tables exchanging money. This doesn't sound like heaven and earth coming together. People were being charged excessive prices for substandard animals. This doesn't sound like loving God and loving people. Verse 15, so he made a whip out of cords and he drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here, which is why we don't have doves in here. No, just <laughs> no that's not yeah. <clears throat> Both sheep and cattle, he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. Oh, anyway. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remember that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Now those who are standing around against, what the, who does this guy think he is? Who's this guy coming in here telling us what to do? And they say, what sign, what sign can you show us that can prove your authority here? What can you tell us? Show us a sign. What kind of authority do you have? Then Jesus makes this big claim. He makes this huge claim. This is what he says. He says, destroy this temple, right? Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. What what was the temple? The temple was this where heaven and earth met. 
It's where, it's where God's space and our, our space overlapped. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? Are you crazy? Are you loco? You've been smoking some stuff? I don't, you have no, you're not even talking rationally here. And then, then the writer of the book of John, John, he whispers to us, we're reading this, he goes, hey, what he meant, he was speaking, he wasn't just speaking of the temple, he meant his own body, just in case you didn't get it. So what Jesus is claiming, what's Jesus claiming? Jesus is claiming that he is the temple. He is where heaven and earth meets, that he embodies the overlap, that he is heaven and earth in bodily form. That's a big statement. It's a real big claim, but it got bigger. Jesus' claims just escalates from there. Jesus said that God's presence was filling the world through his own life, his death, and resurrection. God's presence wasn't just, God's presence wasn't just contained in a temple, but now God's presence is going to be filling the world through his life, his death, and his resurrection. That's a big claim. What do you mean? This is our sacred space. This is where we contain it. No, 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 no. Through my life and through my death and resurrection, it's going to fill the earth. God's present. That's a big claim. You know, Jesus proved it. You know how we proved it? By actually raising back to life. By actually, he actually rose back to life. It's not some kind of like myth. It's an actual fact. By raising back to life. No, he didn't just stop there. He, he said that anyone who receives my gift, that, that God's spirit will now dwell within them. Wait, wait, wait. What do you mean by that? What, you're saying what's sacred? That holy, holy place is going to dwell in something that's not so sacred? What are you saying, Jesus? You know what he's saying? He said, you are a temple. What? Well, I don't understand because sacred is where I am not. And Jesus says, anyone who receives my gift, you are a temple. In fact, the Apostle Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. He says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. See, Jesus taught that when we honor people, we honor God. So in the New Testament, what you find is that any time a person takes from another person, defrauds another person, Steal someone's trailer. Dishonors another person. Steals. Oh, oh sorry, I just chucked that in there. You know, anyway. So, anyway, let's carry on. Steals from another person. Hurts another person. That's considered sin. Did you know that? It's not just what I've done, it's what we do to others. That's considered sin. Sexual sin is any time you do something to potentially hurt another person, which makes it a sin. When you take from someone something that was intended or promised to someone else, then you sin against that person. Because God has someone intended for you. And if you take that from someone else, 
You're taking something from them that they were intended for someone else. You've just sinned against them. Verse 19. Do you not know? Don't you know? Do you not know that your bodies are temples? Do you not know that your bodies are temples? Temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you whom you have received from God. Now, Paul shifts the conversation to identity. Do you remember who you are? We've forgotten our identity. When that person cut, cut me off this morning, we forget our, our, our identity. Do you not know? He shifts the conversation to identity, to the identity of the resurrected Christ. Then Paul connects it to you and me. Do you not know who you are? You are a temple, but temples are sacred. And in in our culture, nothing is sacred. To which Paul would say, but you are. You are sacred. In fact, you are more sacred than the most sacred site on the planet Earth. Did you know that? In the beginning I asked, do you know where the most sacred place is on the planet Earth? Do you know where it is you? You are more sacred than the most sacred site on the planet Earth. Do you know this building is not sacred? It's just a building. Church is not a building, but it's people. The church are people. You are sacred. This isn't sacred. This is not a sacred place, but you are. On Wednesday, it's Holonesia. People doing exercise, swaying the hips. Sacred place? No, you are sacred. You are sacred. You are more sacred than the most sacred place on the planet Earth. That's why there's no longer there's no, no longer a need for a temple in Jerusalem. Because the Apostle Paul says, You are a temple. You are the temple, and the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Remember Genesis 1? talks about your identity, that God made you in His image. You are God's image bearer. You didn't just evolve. You're not just a mistake. You're not just an afterthought. You are not a waste of space. You are a sacred image. Because God's Spirit resides in you. You are sacred, and so are the people around you. You're no longer slave to sin. You've just forgotten who you are and whom you are. You know why that's a big deal? Because the value of a container is determined, what it, is determined by what it contains. You know my wallet? I'll pull my wallet up. You know my wallet, it's, it's only as valuable as what it contains. It's not, if I lost my wallet, I'm like, oh, I wish I'd get my wallet back. No, what I want is what's inside my wallet. Because what's inside my wallet makes it valuable. Let me just tell you what's inside my wallet now doesn't make it that valuable. <laughs> okay? There isn't much. But, it, but it's, it's what it contains makes it valuable. You contain the Holy Spirit. How valuable are you? And the possible goes on. You are not your own. To which we say, yes, I am. I'm my own man. I'm an adult. I'm free to do whatever I want. Because we want to seize 
for ourselves or what's right or wrong, right? But for everyone who received the gift of eternal life, said, God, it's not me but you. I'm letting go to let God in my life. For everyone who receives this gift. And be glad that you are not your own. Why? It's because you were bought at a price. Because ownership determines value as well. You know, um, this rugby jersey, I used this online. If if you're tuned in online during lockdown, I used this illustration, but this is a rugby jersey, okay? For for many here, it's not valuable to you. In fact, uh, I probably won't get anything from this. Just use it as rag to clean your car or whatever, right? But to me, this is priceless. It's because of who owned it. Now, who owned this jersey was my father. He wore this jersey representing my mum's village back in the Cook Islands, um, back in the 60s and 70s, and then he passed it on to me. And then I would use it for my first 15 trainings during when I was playing for Mangere College back in the days. These days, uh, I'm afraid if I put it on, I'm going to wreck it, split it, split it down the belly. But anyway, but it's who, it's who owned it. Ownership brings value as well. You are made in the image of God. You're bought at a price. What price? What was the cost? That God loved you so much. Saw you in your sin and troubles. Loved you so much that he stepped into his creation. Embodied himself in the fullness of Jesus Christ and on the cross He died for your sins. He absorbed all your sin and your rebellion and offers eternal life as a free gift. Be glad you're not your own. You're bought at a price of eternal life. You are sacred and so are the people around you. Therefore, here's the application. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. How do you honor God with your bodies? By honoring people. Love God, love people. It's because you are sacred and so are the people around you. And when you see the people around you as being sacred, that person who cut me off this morning, they're sacred. They're made in them, and I'm going to honor them. I'm going to remember, and by doing that, I remember who I am. I'm sacred. See, every single person bears the image of God. It doesn't matter what color you are, what race you are. It doesn't, matter, it doesn't even matter what religion you are. Because every single person is made in the image of God. And every, every single person deserves our utmost respect because of whose image they bear. Me and that person that in, in the shop that's wearing a bur- uh, turban, a bourbon. Too much last time I'm wearing it now. Wearing a turban, right? They deserve your utmost respect. Can you imagine if we saw people like this? Can you imagine what transformation we can bring in our communities? Can you imagine the people we can reach with the gospel of Jesus? Because we respect them so much that we want to we tell them uh, the good news of what he's done for them. So they too can step into eternal life. Heaven is not just somewhere you go after you die, but it's a present reality. You just got to hang around with someone who, who stepped into this reality. You just got to hang around with people who, people who, who's come off drug addiction. Uh, let me tell you something. I love our men's group on a Wednesday. You just hear their testimonies. 
with drugs or alcohol, whatever it is, has controlled their life, but it's by the resurrection power inside their life. They're free. Free. You just watch someone whose life was turned upside down, and then God turns it the right way, and how God changes their life dramatically. That's the resurrection power in their life. When I go along to my men's group on Wednesday, I'm in awe of the resurrection power. People with a bottle has controlled their life are set free. People with drugs have, have taken hold of their life are set free. It's the resurrection power. It's not some future reality. It's a present day reality. You can step into eternal life now. You can live an eternal life, life now. Or we can continue down as walking dead. The choice is yours. You just look at someone's marriage who it seemed like their marriage was over, but then grace of God came upon them and they were humbled and all of a sudden they discovered passion and compassion like never before. They thought their marriage was over, but God healed their marriage. You just look at people. It's a resurrection power. It's the power that, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that's at work in your life because you are sacred. And so are the people around you. It's present day reality. Can we just go back to that diagram? Heaven and earth, heaven and how are not just some future reality, it's a present day reality. Present age. It's the decision we make today that determines what happens. We all are on a trajectory of death. How is our default? destination. How, many of us think that heaven is our default destination. You talk to somebody on the street, do you believe in God? No. Do you believe you're going to go to heaven? Yes. That's, that's an oxymoron. Right? Heaven is not your default destination. Hell is your default destination. That's why God loved you so much. You are you are you meant, you know what he meant? He loved you so much that he couldn't live without you. So on the cross, he laid down his life for you. So how do you change your trajectory? How do you become a temple? How do we receive the Holy Spirit? By receiving the one who gave up his life for you, Jesus Christ. You are sacred, and so are the people around you. If you're here this morning, I don't know where you are in life. I don't even know who you are. If you're here, most of it, I don't, don't know who you are. But you know where you stand. You know that if you died right now, where you're going to go. If you're unsure, that means you don't really know. But you need to know. So if you're here this morning and you're ready to leave your life of sin, what does your life of sin look like? Seizing for myself what's right and wrong. I'm going to, this is, I'm, no one's going to tell me what to do. Nothing's going to, this, because I'm in control. But it's time to let go. Repent. Repenting means turn away. I'm turning, this has had control of my life for too long. Darkness has controlled my life. I'm letting go. I'm turning my back. I'm repenting. I'm, I'm coming back home. Jesus, the lover of my soul, who loves you so much, this gift is freely given.
And if you're here this morning, you're, you're ready to let go and let God and receive His gift. You, it's a decision point. You need to make a decision in your heart and you've got to walk it out. It's nothing, oh, like, I'm, I'll let me make a decision and then tomorrow just go back. I'll go back to hanging on to all my... It's time to let go. Walk it out. Bible says walk out your faith of fear and trembling. Walk it out. Look, if you're making this decision, if you're making this decision to begin your journey with God, let me pray for you. Let me help you on your journey. Father, I just, I'm praying right now for those who are making a decision called letting go. Sometimes it's, it's so easy to hang on to what we know. And sometimes we think we're just not good enough. Sometimes, you know, I get a sense of what I really do. Someone's like, God's laying something on my heart here this morning. There's someone in this room, you're thinking that you're, that you're not worthy. Because of the life you lived, for whatever reason, you think what's going on in your life right now, you deserve it. You know what you deserve? You deserve freedom. You deserve God's love is what you deserve. So why don't you let go and let God? You need to make that decision. Lord, I'm praying for those making that decision right now to receive you as their Lord and, receive you as their Lord and Savior. Be with them, walk with them. Thank you, Lord, that they are not alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.